Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. We're here with Ken Monaghan, who's the Director for International Trade Policy for the National Association of Manufacturers. We're looking forward to a conversation with Ken because we're talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I know our listeners have heard a lot about the TPP, but Ken is really going to go into more depth about the TPP so that you get a better sense of what it is, why it's beneficial to us and to our trade partners around the world, and to kind of dispel some of the myths about what might be a problem with the TPP. Ken, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you all. Really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Ken, if you could just give our listeners kind of a quick overview of the TPP itself and what countries we're talking about will be involved and and the obvious one that won't be. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Um, So there's 12 countries in the TPP, uh, the United States, of course, um, but also 11 other Asia-Pacific countries, so Australia, Brunei, Canada, Chile, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, and Vietnam. Um, these countries have a combined GDP, a gross domestic product, of more than $10 trillion and nearly 500 million potential consumers. Uh, the U.S. exported about $605 billion worth of manufactured goods to these countries last year. So together it's the largest export market for the United States. Um, and so what the TPP is, is you know, it, it, it's a critical agreement for opening markets, um, getting beyond the status quo and leveling the playing field uh, for manufacturers um, that are exporting to Asia or want to export but can't because they're facing high barriers uh, for their products they're trying to ship into these countries in Asia. Um, so you mentioned there, or alluded to the fact that there's a country that's not in the TPP. Well, that's China. Uh, China is not in the TPP. Uh, we hear quite a lot about how, uh, including the Republican uh, nominee for president during the primary uh, campaign in last year, said that TPP is designed for China to come in through the back door. That couldn't be any, any further from the truth. TPP is a high standard agreement. Um, all the countries that join have to meet high standards, including limiting all their tariffs on manufacturing products, um, you know, addressing a whole host of non-tariff barriers, um, things like um, you know, discriminatory regulatory standards, um, strong intellectual property rules, including things like criminalizing trade secret theft, um, really important for manufacturers that want to make sure their products aren't going to be stolen, their, their IP is not going to be stolen. Um, so China needs to uh, you know, consider taking these into account if they ever wanted to join the TPP. So the idea is to raise the bar, you know, to, to improve the status quo, so to speak, in this part of the world. And, and China could join. Other countries have expressed interest in joining the TPP, but they would have to do it on the terms of the TPP and not some other formulation um, that other countries you know, in that region may be considering other types of agreements that are not nearly as, as ambitious or as comprehensive as the TPP. Uh, Aren't there already trade relationships uh, in place with these countries? There are and there aren't. Um, So five of the countries which we at the NAM call the TPP-5 are are countries with which the United States does not already have uh, trade agreements. And so Japan, Malaysia, Vietnam, New Zealand, and Brunei um, are are five countries. Uh, And just to give a sense of of where, in fact, the United States has, has underperformed in these markets over the last 20 years, um, the United States had a 26% share of manufacturing imports from these five countries, or pardon me, into these five countries um, back in the mid-90s. And so in, in 
2014, it dropped all the way to 10%. So we don't have agreements with these five countries. And in fact, we've been seeing our share of, of, of their imports fall dramatically, while other countries, such as China, have signed agreements with most of these countries and have dramatically seen an increase. Um, in fact, all the way up to 34% of their imports um, in manufacturing have come from China. So we've seen a real dramatic change in the competitive landscape in these countries. And so, yeah, we have five countries that we do not have agreements. Um, and that we see a real opportunity to, uh, to, to change the game and improve our export performance in these markets. Lou, you had a question for Ken? Um, yeah, I, I did, but I've lost it since. It'll come back to me. If, if this is in, in fact factual, that there, presently there are in, in the, the global trading world that there's roughly 18,000 uh, tariffs against uh, the U.S. Um, and is, is that in actuality uh, close to the truth? Well, it's, it's, it's the number that um, that is the tariffs that are faced by, by importers, um, you know, um, come bringing products from the United States. TPP market. So there's 18,000 tariffs that are currently being charged on U.S. exports to TPP countries that would be eliminated um, right. by TPP. Um, so it's, there's many more tariffs you know, around the world uh, by countries such as China that are not part of the TPP. But within right. the TPP itself, you'd see those 18,000 tariffs eliminated. Uh, and so they're tax cuts. These are border taxes that are you know, charged on product going from the United States to Asia that are, you know, maybe it's 20% or 30% or even if it's 5% um, with a large volume of trade, that makes a big difference, especially for so, smaller companies that face those duties. So therefore, the TPP, as I understand it, would then be a cost savings to all the importers and exporters and everyone theoretically making a larger profit, which is good for everybody. Yes, it saves, it, it, it gets to the bottom line for our companies. It um, provides them the opportunity to reinvest those savings into you know, research and development, um, you know, creating and mm -hmm. supporting jobs here at home, um, you know, moving into, into areas where they, they are, can't do so right now because they're facing higher costs you know, to their goods sold, so to speak, uh, in this part of the world. So they can really reinvest those savings into their businesses. So uh, somewhere along in our discussion here today, uh, I'd like to hear more about why there are so many people, either knowing people or unknowing people, against the TPP. Do you think about that answer, or if you can shoot from the hip, be my guest? Well, sure. I mean, I, I think that there's a, you know, one of the things that, that you hear a lot about are the jobs that are lost to overseas suppliers, and you know, the, the, there's some fear and fiction around that. You know, I can point to a few things that are, you know, that I, I think that there's this under, underlying concern that jobs have been lost, and you've seen, uh, you know, a real change in the manufacturing landscape in this country. And if you look at the data, yeah, there has been a, a, a significant job loss uh, over the last 15, 20 years. But in fact, it's really not driven by trade. Um, we've we've run the numbers and we've we've looked at a number of uh, other uh, sets of research that's out there. And and in fact, you know, we've seen about 88% of the jobs in manufacturing losses since 2000 have, have been due to factors that go beyond uh, trade. Frankly, it's due to improved U.S. productivity. Uh, we're producing more than we ever have before, but we're doing so with fewer workers. And so that, that has, it creates tensions around, you know, trade or around issues around, you know, what, what is it that's, that's driving manufacturing when, in fact, it's, it's, we're making more than we have before. Uh, we've, we're, we're, we're doing better than we ever have, but we're doing it with fewer workers. And that's due to productivity. It's not due to trade, you know, primarily. 
but it's easy to blame trade and blame globalization as, as the, the boogeyman or as, as the, the reason for those changes in, in terms of manufacturing employment and broader trend lines. But in fact, we're doing quite well. Again, our output's at a record high in 2015, and, and we need to kind of go back to that and talk about how we can you know, change the status quo and improve our competitive uh, you know, in, environment in right. Asia Pacific, but also globally. It's not just Asia, but it's globally where our facing I, I think a significant portion of some of that uh, manufacturing employment drop has more to do, well, has a lot to do with uh, advancement of technology, uh, new technologies, which is always continuing, and you can't stop that. That's a ball rolling down the hill, um, and uh, it's just evolutionary. Right. I mean, I think additive manufacturing, internet-connected sure. products, robotics, the cloud. I mean, all these these. Yeah. these Incredible innovations, which you know, which make it easier to produce more uh, and, and be more productive uh, and, and be connected. I mean, you know, a lot of the benefits of the TPP is that it allows companies to transfer data across borders in ways that we never could have imagined. Um, mm -hmm. it's important when NAFTA was was signed and put into place 20 plus years ago. I mean, it, it has completely changed the way that companies, you know, or not just trade agreements, but the global economy has changed so you know fundamentally. Um, sure. Companies have to compete, you know, with, with each other amongst themselves, not just in the United States, but globally, in ways that are dramatically different than 20 years ago. Uh, our our company, uh, our main uh, business operation is a um, all metals and forge group, the, uh, the forging uh, steel forging company, and we've been involved uh, over the years uh, with NAFTA, and always, and it's found that NAFTA is is a good thing. Uh, we're hearing from on, on our manufacturing talk radio side as well as uh, what goes on on CNN and Fox and all the rest of them that NAFTA is, is bad. Uh, where's the bad? Can you explain that to our listeners? Well, I mean, I think in any any you know global economy, there's there's disruption, of course, and there sure. are, are are challenges that are that surround that. I mean, we can't run away from the fact that. When you open markets and you have, you know, a competitive global landscape, there's going to be changes and disruptions. And I think that gets back mm -hmm. to the question that we just spoke to about why it is that, in fact, you see this disruption. A lot of it's due to productivity and, and, and changes in the trend lines. And so we, we can't run away from the fact that there are, you know, challenges and that companies are going to face, you know, uh, you know challenges to their businesses and how they grow and how they, um, you know, employ their resources. But I think the fact is that when we see the kinds of barriers that our companies face in Asia, and I, I just want to take this opportunity to highlight a few of the stories that we um, – sure. Um, we, we've been reaching out to our companies, and we have a, a blog series called the TPP in Real Life. And um, maybe this is a good chance to kind of plug a few of these stories. And uh, Brobrick, a washroom equipment based in California, has the Qualicare baby changing stations, which uh, many folks and young parents like myself know quite well. Um, and, you know, there's, there's duties on these products. They're facing 25% in Vietnam and 5% in places like New Zealand. Uh, Denver, Colorado is where these are made. I mean, there's a real opportunity in TPP to eliminate these tariffs. On baby changing stations, on John Deere makes famous tractors uh, in their Waterloo, Iowa uh, facility. 15% tariff on their tractor shipped to Vietnam, limited under the TPP. And a company like Polyguard, it's a smaller manufacturer that produces, uh, you know, surface protection um, technology and structures that protect from moisture, water, and other substances. And they see uh, an improved regulatory environment and intellectual property protections in the TPP is critical. Otherwise, they they can't even maintain the kind of production that's the local presence because it's just it's too um, challenging in terms of, of the environment. So they're looking to see these standards raised. So yeah, it is. You know, there are some challenges, but also companies are looking at the opportunity and they see the TPP as a real game changer uh, mm -hmm. in terms of 
their opportunity to compete in these markets. I mean, the stories of Polygard and, and Deer and Bobrick are just a handful of a number of, of the NAM members who are really um, excited about the TPP, who see real opportunity and are, are, are you know, trying to, to, to you know, increase their positioning globally, and they see in Asia as a real opportunity. So I, I would gather that from your position, you see uh, the TPP, NAFTA, and our, all of our other trade uh, uh, agreements around around the world uh, are more have more pluses and less negatives and some challenges. Well, you just look at the barriers right now that we you know we face overseas, and you know we have relatively low, quite actually quite low tariffs on the import side in the United States in terms of the, the mm -hmm. average tariffs are you know two two and a half percent on the manufacturing side. They're right. higher overseas, and so yeah, you could. We could just, you know, stop all agreements right now, and then we would. And what would happen? We would, you know, see our competitive position continue to to deteriorate, uh, and we wouldn't see any change in the rules and the standards in these markets and these, you know, border tariffs. Which, you know, people say these are a 20th century trade issue. Uh, tariffs are no longer in vogue. Well, countries still impose high tariffs on on products that are exported from the United States, and you can't eliminate those without. Um, Agreements like the TPP. In fact, I had a, a conversation with a member of Congress recently who said, you know, "How can you stop eliminating tariffs on, on on you know products that are faced on U.S. exports?" And I said, "The TPP. You know, all manufacturing tariffs eliminated under the TPP. I mean, that is the the a way in which we can really get our, our our exports and our products overseas. I mean, that that's what this is about. And if we don't do that, uh, then we're really going to have a, an opportunity that we really will have missed here. Uh, so." And I understand that the TPP is now a signed agreement. Now what has to happen for it to become active? Sure. So the, the agreement has to uh, meet a couple of, uh, of key points for it to become active. First of all, the United States Congress has to approve the TPP and each of the other 11 countries have to go through similar processes in terms of ratification of the TPP. And so uh, Congress is, is looking to um, approve the TPP. We're, we're looking for a, a lame duck. Uh, session in Congress for TPP to be considered by Congress. Uh, there are some outstanding issues that the administration is working with Congress um, to resolve, but if there is a, a pathway for the TPP, it would have to be approved by the Congress, and we're hoping that will happen uh, later this year. Um, again, all other countries need to sign the TPP as well, um, and, and, and at that point, which you know, the agreement can be implemented and, and enter into force sometime, hopefully next year. Um, but that's the process that has to be kind of followed through. Uh, not all the countries have to necessarily sign immediately or, or ratify immediately. The United States and Japan, as the two largest economies, need to do so in order for anything to happen with the agreement going into force. Um, so really the first key step here for us is getting Congress to approve the TPP. <coughs> Manufacturers are pushing very hard for that to happen. Is there a active uh, attempt, uh, a strong active attempt to uh, get China to uh, buy in? Not in the sense that they, you know, the United States or you know is not, you know, reaching out to China to, to get them to support the TPP or not. Uh, I think that the Chinese are certainly interested in any trade agreement that would affect their own competitive position. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's, I, I'm sure there's engagement with the Chinese in terms of, you know, them trying to understand more about the TPP and get a better sense of what it is and how it compares to their own agreements. Um, right. But that's, you know, again, I, you know, I alluded to the fact that there's other countries that have expressed a lot of interest in the TPP, and mm -hmm. so I'm sure there will be a lot of conversations around that, but you can't even really get to that conversation with new countries until you get the TPP passed by Congress and uh, entered into force. Uh, so certainly there, that's a conversation mm -hmm. for the next, next conversation <laughs> about countries once we get this thing through Congress. 
But well, it sounds like a big plus for American manufacturers. Uh, does it make anything easier, other than the tariffs going away, does it make anything easier in that export activity, uh, Ken, that seems to be a, kind of a, a hurdle for manufacturers to get their head around? Yeah, I mean, everything from regulatory barriers in terms of standards. Um, the co companies uh, are, have to, you know, apply different standards when they, you know, make a product in the United States market versus in Asia or other It'll make it easier for companies to, you know, apply a, a shared set of standards or at least have their standards recognized in markets. That's really important. Um, protecting intellectual property, which I, I, I maybe have mentioned earlier, um, protecting right. investment. So when companies are investing overseas, that they have uh, the kinds of protections that you would expect in the United States to have their investments protected, um, not to have, you know, investments be expropriated without cause or, you know, overnight kind of um, things. And so there's, there's things like that that provide, you know, I talk a lot about uh, it's certainly the tariff piece, but it's also providing companies with a kind of confidence. I mentioned the Polyguard example earlier, how they, they are you know, very concerned about intellectual property and the regulatory environment. Uh, and to me, that's confidence. That they, they're going to you know, export it to a market or they're going to invest you know, in terms of uh, you know, uh, reaching out to a market. They're not going to do so if they feel like they're going to have their, their, um, their product stolen or their, their IP stolen or whatever it might be. And so the, I, the TPP really is, is designed to, to raise the bar. Uh, across, across the board. I mean, I, I talk to tariffs a lot because they're tangible. I mean, we can talk about 20% or 30% and we can see a real cost savings off of that. But if a company is not even going to engage in a market um, because they're worried about intellectual property or investment protections or you know, the regulatory environment or standards or the, you know, it's just too difficult to produce a different line of product for a market, um, you know, or, or it's uncertain if that product will get shipped to, to Asia and then it won't get approved or, you know, it'll get stuck at the border. Um, so facilitating trade and making sure the products get through the border are all the kinds of things that I, you know, I talk about confidence. It improves or increases the confidence that a, a company can say, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to try to improve, increase our, our bottom line and, and export to Asia. Um, these kinds of protections, the, you just don't have that confidence um, that a, a particularly smaller size manufacturer is willing to, to take that leap and go into Asia or go to a part of the world where they haven't done business before. I know one of the things that people get uh, awfully worked up about are, are jobs going offshore, and I know that you and I talked about NAFTA, and back when Ross Perot was running for president, he said that giant sucking sound you hear are jobs going south of the border. It really didn't happen in a big way. I don't imagine that it's going to happen in a big way with the TPP. Do you see it any different, Ken? Well, I, you, know, I, you, know, I, you know, if I could predict the future, I'd, I'd be... In a different line of business, I can tell you that NAFTA, um, when NAFTA came to force four years afterwards, 1993 to 1997, U.S. manufacturers increased nearly 800,000 jobs, uh, and in part due to increased exports. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we, we saw, in fact, after NAFTA was passed, a real growth in, in, um, in employment in the United States. And we talked about some of the trend lines after that that, that changed the, the manufacturing employment landscape considerably. Um, but I, I think we've we've been through a lot of that. We've seen the transition. We've seen companies transition in, in, in the ways we talked about in terms of innovation, how they manufacture now versus how they did 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so I, again, if you just simply look at it, you know, look at the facts, look at where we are, and look at where the United States is, is positioned globally. Um, another fact to share with you all is the barriers faced by U.S. exports. Um, there's a ranking done. There's 138 countries that were evaluated, and the U.S. ranks 130. Um, in terms of the tariffs faced on, on U.S. exports overseas, not just in Asia, but all around the world. Uh, and and our, our, you know, companies in countries like, like China, the European Union, think of Germany or, or, or the U.K. or France, Canada, India, 
Mexico, all are significantly better off than we are right now in terms of the tariffs faced on their exports because they've signed more agreements or they have more um, relationships with, you know, agreements with countries around the world. So, you know, when I try to predict the future in terms of jobs, I mean, I look at that. I look at the fact that we're so far behind. Uh, we are, you know, facing significantly higher barriers, not just tariffs, regulatory burdens, it's standards, all kinds of things that our companies are facing that, that other countries aren't facing when they're coming to the United States. We're more open. Um, so if I try to predict the future and I look at where manufacturing is going to be in 5, 10, 15 years, I see the United States competing and competing harder and harder to, to get into markets overseas, and we can't do that if we don't open up, uh, you know, countries' markets through agreements like the TPP. I think it's a great point, and I appreciate uh, your being on Manufacturing Talk Radio to talk about the TPP. I think you've helped dispel a lot of the uh, misgivings about it. It looks like there's a ton of positives in it. Ken, thanks for being with us. Guys, really appreciate the opportunity again, and um, thank you so much. Thank you, so Ken. We'll have you back once that comes in force, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more with Ken Monahan, who's Director for International Trade Policy at the National Association of Manufacturers. Once the TPP becomes an active agreement with uh, our Congress approving it, whenever that happens, we'll have Ken back on the show, uh, and we will be right back. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.